0: And I want to start out by saying that this series is meant to be informative and in no way judgmental. These lessons are not targeted at anyone, and they're not intended to make anyone feel inferior or uncomfortable. Each lady here, we are each on a journey to get closer to God and to be more like Him. And we're not all in the same place. We're all at various stages and levels in our journey. Some are further than others. Some have been in church or been serving God for a lot more years than some of us. So we're all at different places. So tonight, I'm just going to share and teach from the Word of God. And all of you know that we've always stated, everyone is welcome to this church. As Sister Brenda said, we don't care how you look, we just want you to come. Everyone is welcome. There's no certain look, there's no certain way you got to live or dress or be to come to this church. Everyone is welcome. And that's the way the Lord has intended it, for it to be open to everyone. We don't ever want to have a church that someone feels like they can't come to. We want it always, people to always feel welcome and that we do welcome everyone with open arms from the saint down to the sinner. We've always told newcomers, come as you are. Just come as you are. And we want God to deal with the hearts of people and let people change as they feel led by the Spirit. So tonight, all I ask is that you listen to what God would speak to us through his word with an open heart and an open mind. Now, in order to discuss holiness, we first need to define what holiness is. What holiness means. Holiness in its simplest definition just means the state of being holy. So then we must, of course, go to the word holy to discover what it means. Holy means separate, distinct, in a class by oneself, to be different in a special way. In 1 Peter 1.16, God said, Be ye holy as I am holy. So we could also state this verse and say, be separate, distinct, different in a special way, just as I, the Lord, am separate, distinct, and different in a special way. So if we want to be like God, then we must desire to be holy, because the Bible tells us that he is holy. Holy comes from the word kodesh, and that just simply means other. God is other, or God is different than the world. So for us to be holy, then, is to mirror God, to show forth his principles and his glory through and by our lives. As saints of God, you could also say we are holy ones, Christ-like, Christians, to be like Christ. We show what God is like through our actions, through our speech, through our demeanor, through our attitude, through our dress. We let God shine through us in many different ways. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us to follow peace with all men and holiness. We must follow peace and we must follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So if we want to see the Lord, we have to follow peace and holiness. Both of those things are important. But holiness must first start on the inside, in our heart. If we ever want to change our outward appearance, it's important that we change our heart first. Because if we just change the outside and the heart doesn't change, it's in vain. You can have a dirty face and put on a mask, but it doesn't change the fact that your face still needs washed. We can dress holy and modest, but if our heart isn't right, then there's still going to be an issue or a problem. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now this verse isn't stating to us that the outward appearance isn't important. It is important because that's what man sees, the Bible says. This is the look we present to the world around us, because that's all they can see. But God doesn't just see the outside, he can also see inwardly to our heart. And he knows if our heart is right. Because you can be modest all day long and have a horrible attitude, and God knows. He knows the inside. So holiness extends first from the inside, from our heart, to the outside, to our appearance. So what is the purpose of holiness? I believe it has three different purposes. One is just for us to be more Christ-like and to reflect God to the world. Two, I believe it's also for our protection through modesty. Some of these things we'll be covering in the future. I'm just giving you a little outline. And three... It's also designed to show a distinction between the sexes, between male and female. Holiness requires sacrifice and obedience to God's word. But let it be said that living a life wholly committed to God does not restrict liberty, but on the contrary, it gives liberty. The Bible states in Luke 9.23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, speaking of Jesus, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now Jesus showed us a picture of what it meant to take up our cross. We, he carried his cross part way to Calvary. Then another man took up the cross and carried it the rest of the way. And it wasn't an easy task. It was a picture of suffering. Now today's generation of churches want to tell us just lay down the cross. It's not necessary. We can still blend in with the world and be saved. But this denies what the very definition of holiness is, and that's to be separate. To be distinct, to be set apart, holiness comes by dedicating our whole being to the Lord and being separated for His purposes. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6:16 6, through18, "In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. God said, Come out from among them and be ye separate. We know separate means to be holy. God has never wanted his people to blend in with the world around them. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We can look back in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. God's people, even at that time in the Old Testament, had an external sign that they belonged to him. For men, it was circumcision. That's how Pharaoh's daughter identified baby Moses as an Israelite, because she opened up and looked at the baby and saw that he was circumcised. And that's how she knew he's an Israelite. There was an external sign that identified Moses as one of God's people. And God still wants his people to be distinct, different from the world. He even said in the Bible that we were a peculiar people. So how can we be separate from the world if we look like the world? Ruth Reader said in her book, Power Before the Throne, if we love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, obedience to him will become our number one priority. Romans 12 and 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which ye have of God, and not of your own. Verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice it says glorify God in your body and in your spirit, inside and outside. He specified two different areas that were to glorify God, body and spirit heart and physical appearance, two different areas. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The right way isn't usually the popular way. Something doesn't have to be popular in order to be the truth. There's a lot of misguided beliefs that are inherently wrong. In history, we see that many people believed the earth was flat, when in fact it was round. Just because a lot of people believed it was flat didn't make it flat. It was still round. Many scientists today will still insist that we came from monkeys, or that the earth came into existence by a big bang. But the truth is, God created the heavens and the earth and formed man out of the dust of the ground. Does their beliefs change the truth? No, it doesn't. So what people believe or the fact that it's something is popular doesn't determine whether something is right or wrong. So we should be willing to seek for what is right and not settle for what's popular. There are specific guidelines in God's word in order to make it to heaven and to be truly holy. In fact, it's called the guidebook to life. It's full of instructions on how to live. The Bible tells us also that God is not the author of confusion. He wanted everything to be very clear to us, so he was very pacific. We even heard Sunday night as Brother Mason began to expound, God was very pacific in his instructions on how to build the ark, or how to design the ark of the covenant, how to build the tabernacle. He was very clear on what the plan of salvation was, how the Israelites should set up their camp, what sacrifices you had to make for this sin, and what sacrifices to make for that sin. He was very pacific. He was a very pacific God. God, even now, gives us very specific instructions for different areas of our life. Allow me just to share a few. I'll just give the scripture reference, and you can jot it if you want to. I'm not going to quote it. He tells us in Acts 2.38 how to be saved. He tells us how to speak. 1 Peter 1.15, be holy in all manner of conversation. He tells us how to love our husbands. See that the wife reverence her husband. He tells us how to live. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He tells us how to treat others. Proverbs 18.24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. He even tells us how to think. Philippians 4 and 8, think on things pure, honest, of a good or poor. He's telling us how to think. I mean, all these different things. So why should we think it's strange or unusual for God to instruct us on our appearance or how to look or how to dress, if he even goes to the very detail of telling us how to think? God created man in his image. He doesn't want that image to be tainted, tainted or tampered with. The Bible says no one has seen God at any time. He's a spirit. Therefore, no one can build or create an idol or an image like God. But God designed humankind to represent his image. We not only reflect the image of God, but as I already quoted the scripture, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. His spirit dwells inside of us. The Bible says that God created Adam in his own image and then created Eve as the image of man. And he distinctly created them male and female. There are specific differences between the genders, not only in their emotional makeup and hormonal makeup and personalities, but in their biological design. There are things that are specific to women and things that are specific to men. So let's look at some of the specific instructions God has given us. Tonight, I'm going to focus on hair. In the coming lessons, we're going to focus on modesty, how to dress, distinction between the sexes and other areas. But tonight, I want to focus on our hair. 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to read several verses here, and then we're going to go back and talk about them. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. But be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, okay? He's saying, be ye followers of me, as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Just speaking of the fact that God took a rib out of Adam to make woman. That's what he's referring to. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not nature itself teach you, that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So, I've read those 16 verses, some kind of wordy, in the King James Version. Let's look at this setting of Scripture. First of all, who was this written to? This was written unto the church at Corinth. It was written to some established believers. There was a church there. The Apostle Paul had set up, and then he had moved on, and then they had some issues, and they needed them addressed. They had some questions and some problems. And so he was writing this epistle to be sent back to the church to address their problems. So who is writing this scripture? As I already said, the Apostle Paul is writing. Now he states in 1 Corinthians 14, which is the same book that this is written in, that if any man think himself... Excuse me, it's in uh, chapter 14, verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual... Let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Alright, so what are the scriptures about? These particular scriptures deal with a man and a woman's hair, specifically the length. Now why was this topic important for the Apostle Paul to address? During this time in Corinth, the people there worshipped many different gods and idols. There was temples to Diana, there was Apollo, there was different gods, and they had different temples and idols and things, and they would have to go to that particular temple of that particular god to sacrifice or to offer uh, something to them. So it was also known in that time that there was a temple erected at the very height of the city to the goddess Diana. When girls or women came to dedicate themselves to the temple, you know, there, you hear of in the Bible times, there was temple prostitutes, there was women that came in and became priestesses and things like that. When girls or women came to dedicate themselves to the temple, they would shave their head and cast their hair into the fire as a sacrifice to their goddess. Also, heathen priestesses in the local temples of Apollo and Aphrodite, they offered worship to their gods bareheaded, and temple prostitutes would cut off their hair during sensuous religious rites and dances. As people begin to convert to serving Jesus, they just assumed they should do the same things they had done for all these other gods they used to worship. It was a common practice that girls sacrificed and offered their hair to their god. But the Apostle Paul wanted there to be a clear understanding of what God ex- expected. So it begins to tell us in verses 4 and 5, that if a man covers his head, he brings dishonor to himself, and if a woman uncovers her head, she brings dishonor to herself. So what is this cover? How should a woman cover her head? Verse 15 explicitly tells us that God gave woman her hair for her covering. Our hair is God-made and God-given. We don't need a veil or a hat. That's a man-made item. The Bible specifically says our hair is our covering. Verse 15 also states that a woman should have long hair, that it is a glory under her. Now, the word long comes from the Greek word koma or komeo, and this is translated to mean uncut or let the hair grow long. Now, please understand that with the word long, there is no specific length associated with the word long in Scripture. Obviously, we know due to genetics and culture, everyone's hair grows at different rates and different lengths. There's no ruler or measuring stick we have to go by that says your hair has to be so many inches or so many feet long. But each lady choosing to leave their hair uncut just puts us all on equal footing. Just kind of like paying ties, everyone pays their 10%, you know, and then everyone's on equal footing because everyone's given 10%. If all of us as ladies choose to let our hair grow uncut, it puts us all on equal footing and in God's eyes, no matter the length, as long as we aren't cutting it, it is long in God's eyes. But obviously we know we can't cut our hair and let it grow at the same time. Scripture states in verse 6 that if a woman isn't covered, it's a shame unto her and that she may as well just be shorn or shaven. And we know that terms of shorn and shaven makes you think of like sheep shearing or you know just completely shearing so being shorn or shaven is just right at the scalp in other words if she's going to uncover her head by cutting it she may as well just shave it completely off and be completely bald because we know that trimming is the same as cutting the very definition of trim just means to cut the only difference is how much you're cutting off trimming is cutting a small amount a cut is cutting a larger amount and God's stating that if you're going to dishonor your head by cutting off any amount at all, you may as well just shave it off because it's the same to God as if you are bald. Now, let me just insert here that some ladies have hair that is thinned or fallen out due to age, illness, disease. This is not the same thing as what we're discussing here. That's not a willful choice made by the lady to remove her hair. It's beyond her control. Sister Sheila can be a testament to that. It wasn't in her control when she went through chemo for her hair to fall out. It was just a result of the illness that she had. But thank the Lord it's grown back so long and beautiful again. And also we tell people that people, newcomers, new in the faith, new to the church, the day you choose to stop cutting your hair, it becomes long in God's eyes. There's no certain length or so many amounts of time that you have to let it grow to become long. It's automatically long in God's eyes the day you choose and say, Lord, I pledge it to you and I'm not going to cut it any longer because I see it in your word. Now, some people say the Bible just says it's a shame. It doesn't say it's a sin explicitly. Well, let's look at some other things that the Bible calls a shame. And if you want the scripture reference, I can give them to you. Here's some things that the Bible specifically says is a shame. Lying, rape, folly, pride, stubbornness, nakedness, lust, and idolatry. Are any of these things a sin? Of course they are. Cutting our hair in any amount falls into the same category of shame as these items. By contrast, it states in verse 14 that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. In other words, he should keep his hair cut short. Long meaning uncut, short meaning cut. The Bible says that man is the image of God, and he should keep his head uncovered. In other words, if man represents the image and glory of God, the glory of God's to be revealed. It's not to be covered up. It's to be uncovered. That's why his hair is to be cut short. A man shouldn't allow his hair to grow uncut like a woman's. This is an area that God has also utilized as a way to tell a distinction between a male and a female. He gave specific instructions, men keep your hair short, ladies let it grow uncut. The full life study Bible commentary tells us that In New Testament times, long hair was disgraceful and shunned by Jewish men, and even those in first century Corinth. Now, contrary to popular paintings, Jesus did not have long hair. He looked like every other male during that time. We know that when Judas went to betray Jesus, in order for him to be identified to the soldiers, he had to kiss Jesus. Well, if Jesus looked so different from the rest of the men and had long hair, why would he have to point him out? because Jesus looked like the rest of the men of that day. He had his hair short. It was disgraceful for a man to have long hair. The Bible even describes the hair of Jesus in Revelation 1.14 when it says, His head and his hairs were white like wool. If that's the case, we know wool is tight and knitted close to the head. Verse 14 goes on to say, oh, let me state this too, let me back up and say, the apostles that knew Jesus, if their Lord and Savior, the one they vowed and serve and pledge their life to it had long hair then why would they sit there and tell somebody it's a shame for a man to have long hair if the one they chose to serve had long hair because Jesus had short hair and so they went on to say it's a shame for a man to have long hair verse 14 also says this does not even nature itself teach you now we know that by nature most men go bald And by nature, most women, there's a few exceptions, but most women keep their hair as they age. It just turns gray. Nature is indicating that baldness is a normal consequence of being male. Therefore, we understand through nature that little or no hair on a man is just an ordinary normal occurrence. But that little or no hair on a woman is unnatural. It's shameful. Most women, the majority of women, don't lose their hair as they age like a man does. It's the difference between male and female. It's just nature's course. Now, let me just insert a little side note here since it was talk, since I talked about gray hair. We don't really have a reason to color or dye our hair neither. Listen to this verse. Proverbs 16.31 states, A hoary head, hoary means gray, a gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. The God's Word translation states, Silver hair is a beautiful crown found in the righteous life. Now listen to this little exposition on this phrase here. Gray hairs, white locks through age are very ornamental. They look very beautiful. They bespeak gravity, wisdom, and prudence and command reverence and respect. With the ancient Romans, greater honor was paid to age than to family or wealth. The elder were revered by the younger next to God. So it was very um, common in ancient Rome that if you had elders and they, had, and they were identified by their gray hair, they were very reverenced. Even above those that were wealthy or family, they were shown respect. And sadly to say, I believe that's somewhat of a lost art in our day. But I believe that our elders should be revered. And the little bit of gray that I got, I pray to God, Lord, if I'm getting gray, then let me get wisdom at the same time. <laughs> because if you're going to give me gray, Lord, I need all the wisdom I can get. 31. And what I think is so awesome is that in the Corinthians it says that a woman's hair is given her for, uh, for glory unto her, but it even states in Proverbs that a gray head is a crown of glory. So we can see that long, uncut hair is glory, and just allowing our hair to gray as it does naturally is glory. It's just part of the process of life. So scripture states that long hair is a glory unto the woman and that gray hair is a crown of glory. Now glory is defined as this, a highly praiseworthy or brilliant asset something that secures praise or renown resplendence magnificence that describes uncut hair and gray hair now in our society women are made to feel ashamed of graying hair like it's something bad or that you should do something about i went through that when i first started going oh this is horrible and all that but the lord quickly changed my attitude when you start looking at others like Sister sheila that have went through you know losing their hair there's a lot more devastating things you know and then when you start reading this in the bible it doesn't matter what society says it matters what god says and he says that it's magnificent that it's a brilliant asset that it's something that secures praise that's wonderful something to be praised a crown is even the bible says it's a symbol of authority majesty and glory So we should never look at our hair in a bad way ever again when we see how the Lord views it, that if we leave it uncut and we just let it be natural and gray as it wants to or whatnot, the Lord sees that as magnificent. He sees it as beautiful. He sees it as resplendent. I mean, that's some really high praiseworthy comments to say those things. So we have two contrasting words used in Corinthians. We have shame versus glory. And what we end up with is a result of our actions. Cutting our hair will bring shame. Letting it grow long brings glory. Now, he ends this series of verses by stating that if anyone disagrees with these teachings, then they should be told, we don't have a custom for men to grow long hair and for women to cut theirs off. It goes on in the Amplified Bible, um, and this is based on that verse 16 at the end of 1 Corinthians 11. The Amplified Bible says, Now if anyone is disposed to be argumentative and contentious about this, we hold to and recognize no other custom in worship than this, nor do the churches of God generally. The Message Bible says, I hope you're not going to be argumentative about this. All God's churches see it this way. I don't want you standing out as an exception. So let's pause here for a moment and take a look at history and what has caused this transition and shift towards ladies cutting their hair. Because from New Testament times all the way up until the 1900s, women always had long, uncut hair for over 5,000 years. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, a shaved head was a mark of shame. Even in World War II, when the Nazis put the Jews in the concentration camps, part of the humiliation process they put them through was to shave all their hair off. The widespread practice of women cutting their hair began in the United States in what was known as the Roaring Twenties which was a decade defined by a spirit of materialism, immorality, and rebellion. We know that World War I took place from 1914 to 1919, and during this time, the majority of men were off to war. And women began to take on jobs that had always been delegated to the man. As a result, women started dressing like men. This is when women began wearing pants for the first time, and we'll talk about that in our next lesson. But immediately following this, women also started chopping off their hair to just below their chin, known as bobbed hair. Many articles throughout the 20s in the newspapers were written on this subject. It caused a lot of controversy and a lot of upheaval. Marion Spitzer in the Saturday Evening Post, June 27, 1925. There hasn't been a newspaper printed for the last two years that hasn't carried some sort of little story about women's hair. It used to be a woman's crowning glory. But now, it's just hair. Anne Harding in the Ladies' Home Journal, March 1927. The most radical change in the costume of women in our times has been the change in hairstyles. Hair really is the crowning glory of a woman. Her hair still remains the most telling item of her appearance. And now, short hair is considered chick. It is also the symbol of freedom of women. In four years during that time, The number of hairdressing shops quadrupled. During this time, some department stores and hospitals fired or discharged their female employees who had bobbed their hair. Many men divorced their wives over their hair. A Missouri court in 1926 awarded custody of three children to private homes with Christian influence because their mother had bobbed her hair. Now you understand the legal court took these children away because the mother had cut her hair. Now, I'm not saying that she wasn't a good mom and shouldn't have kept those children. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying to point out is how serious and how much of an upheaval in society it was at that time, that it was such a drastic shift from what had always been the norm. That's all I'm saying, to the point that all the way in the court, they would remove children over that issue. That's what I'm saying. It was such a huge deal at that time. And therein lies our clue of where the shift started. Women's liberation, women's freedom, the progression of women to be more like men, pants, short hair, etc. Women weren't bettering themselves, even though they thought they were. In fact, they were denying themselves the inherent privilege that comes with being a woman and being feminine. At that time, it was considered unchristian for a woman to cut their hair. But, as time went on, society became callous to this change, and it no longer mattered. And here we are, almost 100 years removed, and it's completely the norm. No one would ever think there was anything different. But it matters, because the Bible tells us that it matters. We aren't less than a man as a woman, but we are different. We are different. That's the way God designed it from the beginning. But as the years have progressed, society continues to shift further and further away from God. You just look at America and what it was founded on and where we are now. There's been a long road away from God through the years. Our society now is turned into anything goes, do what you feel, whatever feels right to you, just do it mentality. That's the type of world we live in. You do what you want to do, I'll do what I want to do, it doesn't matter. But it does matter. We can even look further in our history in the angry decade, which was the 60s, it was known as the angry decade. And it was during that time there was a lot of rebellion against the establishment, you know, the hippie movement, rioting, drug use, free sex, rock and roll, different things like that. It was during this time that men began to let their hair grow long and uncut. The Beatles influenced this hair revolution in 1964. And I'm sure some of you here have probably lived through that time, so you know better than me. I wasn't born until 1977. so. <laughs> but I'm sure some of you experienced that time in that era. So many men started growing out their hair that barbershops were closing at the rate of a hun- almost 100 a month for closing because so many men were no longer getting their hair cut. Now here's what we have to understand, and I think this is where it really takes prevalence and it kind of brings it home to the church. We have to understand that something spiritual takes place when women cut their hair. Spiritually, a woman whose head is uncovered, and not necessarily conscientiously, but is in essence trying to step into man's given role because the Bible designed man to have short hair and not the woman. The woman was to have long hair. Verse 10 tells us in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 11, that a woman has power on her head because of her uncut hair, specifically power of the angels. Now, the Greek word for power is exousia. This word means privilege, force, freedom, mastery, Delegated influence or authority. Delegated influence. In other words, something that has been delegated to us by God to be an influence. Delegated influence. Isn't that awesome? Or authority, liberty. So having long, uncut hair, according to the word of God, gives us special power in the spiritual world. Now, I'm not saying there's anything magical about our hair, not like Rapunzel that can wrap it around a guy's hand and he's automatically, woo my hair did it, it glowed, and it took care of it, okay? I'm not saying there's not a thing magical about our hair, okay? Not one thing. But there is special privileges given to us by God in the spirit realm because we have been obedient to his word in this area of our life. If you look in the book Ruth to wrote, Power Before the Throne, She tells us about Lucifer. We all know Lucifer. He was an angel in heaven. He was cast out. We know him also as Satan, the roaring lion, the father of lies, etc. Okay? But before he sinned and was cast out of heaven, Ezekiel 28, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, it tells us that Lucifer was referred to as, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou wast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And then he goes on to say, I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So we look and we see that Lucifer's main responsibility was as the covering cherub that guarded the glory of God. But we know that he tried to usurp God's authority and take his place. He wanted to ascend up and be like the Most High. He wanted to be above God, and he was cast out of heaven he lost his covering now notice all that took place and then when god created adam and eve isn't it so awesome he delegated this responsibility to the woman used to belong to lucifer but now it belongs to us because we were given our hair as a glory and as a covering used to be lucifer's place to cover it'd be a covering cherub of god's glory He lost that position. And God created woman and said that our hair was for a covering and our hair was for our glory. Okay? So now we see that the enemy of our soul wants to tempt women over and over to tamper with the covering because it symbolizes to him everything he lost. And he wants us as women to lose this covering too. We are now guardians of the glory, Sister Reader says. But the glory is not ours. It's the glory of God that resides upon us and in our life. So a woman's hair signals to the spiritual world whether we are in rebellion or submission. Obedience to God's word, we let it go uncut. We choose to cut it, it's, we are not obeying. So what's the first thing that we know most women when they've been in the church, they do when they backslide, most of the time they cut their hair. We look at the Ark of the Covenant. And we see the guardian angels. The Bible specifically describes what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. You had the box, and it was hollow inside. It was covered in gold. And then you had the mercy seat on top, and you had the cherubs, the angels that were on it, and their wings come up, and they touched, and they were covering over. And the glory of God would come down right there on top of the Ark. And those angels were designed to cover over the glory of God. The cherubims were attached to the mercy seat. It was all formed out of, the Bible talks about beaten gold. You know, it was all beaten. It wasn't glued together, nailed together. It was all from one piece. You couldn't separate the angels from the mercy seat, which the mercy seat also was like the lid that went over top of the ark. So when you lifted up the mercy seat and removed it from the ark, the angels went with it because they were part of it. They were attached, okay? So whenever we remove our covering, we cut our hair, we are removing the power of the angels. It goes with it when we take our hair off. It takes the guardian, the divine protection from our life. When we remove our hair, the glory and the power go with it because it all comes with it. We leave our long, uncut hair, we have power of the angels. And we can, And I have utilized that in my own life. Um, it's been several, several years ago, prior to when even we had children, we'd run over to St. Louis for a quick weekend trip for our anniversary. And on the trip home, we were driving home, and it was late at night, and it was extremely dark and a bad storm came and it was raining it was one of those times when it was so dark and it was raining so hard you just couldn't even see a car's length in front of your car and it was just it was stressful my husband was getting stressed and I didn't even say anything to him I just began to pray silently in my mind and I said God You told us that you gave us power of the angels on our head because of hair. Lord, I have kept my hair holy, and I've kept my hair uncut before you. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you either let this rain stop or you give us safe passage through this storm. And no longer than it took me to say that prayer, immediately the rain stopped. And it didn't rain the rest of the trip home. And it was clear, and I knew God honored my prayer. Nothing magical about my hair, but he was just honoring the commitment and the obedience that I would given to him. Wasn't too long ago, most of you know, pastor went through a spell of being very sick on and off, on and off, on and off. And it just seemed like the enemy was just battling him so hard. And we truly felt that it was a spiritual attack. More so than just, oh, I'm sick, you know, the normal run of the mill. The enemy was physically attacking him to keep him from the pulpit and to keep him from operating in his role. And we knew it was. And uh, I was on a walk, Sister Mason and I were walking, and I told her, I said, you know, I really feel impressed that I need to go home tonight and I just need to lay my hair over top of my husband." and pray and say God I've been obedient again the same prayers I prayed like on the way home from St. Louis Lord I'm praying over my husband through obedience I've done to you in letting my hair grow long and uncut you gave us power of the angels and you let your angels come down and minister to him and touch him in his body and it wasn't very many days after that that he was alright and, and nothing I did but the Lord does honor us in our obedience he does there's a story that Sister Reader tells about a lady whose son was in a car accident brought him to the hospital and he was pronounced dead the surgeon says there's nothing we can do and she fought away back to her son's bed and he was laying there and um, she took her hair and she laid it over top of her son and said a similar prayer and he got up he came back to life he began to recover he began to color come back into his cheeks and they came back and worked on him and within a matter of days he walked out of the hospital so things can happen Not because of our hair, but because of our obedience. That's what it comes down to, because of our obedience. We know that disobedience is a sin. Obedience to the word is the right way to go. So our hair is important to God. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have put the instructions in his word. But God is specific. So we should honor him and his word by letting it grow uncut, as indicated in scripture. We should refrain from following the trends of the world. I want to be a godly woman and please God, don't you? So if you would stand with me, I just want to pray tonight that we could ask God to help us in this area of our life. It's become a day and age where even amongst the church, even amongst the church of people that know the truth, they have turned from it, become commonplace to cut their hair or trim their hair, and they feel it's no longer important. But I pray God don't ever let us get there. Help us to remember your word and what it says. Let's pray tonight. God, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would help us, Lord, in every area of our life. Lord, we want your direction. We want your guidance. Lord, help us to know how to live, how to think, how to talk, how to conduct ourselves, and how to appear to the world. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you